up, Broncos country? What's up, Broncos country? This is Phil Lindsay. Justin Simmons here. This is Alexander Johnson. Hey, I'm Vaughn Miller, and you're listening to the Neutral Zone. Hello, and thank you for joining us here on the Neutral Zone. I am Phil Milani, joined as always by my trusty sidekick, my partner in crime. Really, the best way to describe this person is my everything. You guys know him. It's at Eric Dalala. Phil, thank you for that kind, kind introduction. It's much appreciated. I do that every week, in case you were wondering. <laughs> I don't often listen to what you're saying, but it was appreciated this week. Eric, where are you right now? I don't well, you might, be able to, you might be able to tell from the easel behind me, some of the watercolors, the pastels, uh, some of the paintings and drawings up on the shelves. Those look like bobbleheads up there, but they're actually clay sculptures that were molded. I'm in Ben Swanson's office today, wow. displaced from my normal recording uh, studio that we love, Phil. But Ben Swanson, great supervisor of this podcast, he offered to let me use his spot. A nice uh, behind-the-scenes look for our viewers on YouTube. That is nice. Yeah, yeah. and uh, maybe little Ben Swanson will pop up at any moment. Keep your eyes open. That is a, a false tease. I would not stick around for something like that. That's just, that's false. But what you should stick around for is the rest of this show because we have got a, a great episode lined up. NFL Network's Daniel Jeremiah. You can follow him at Move the Sticks on Twitter. He will join us. We'll have a chat about the NFL draft coming up. Eric, you know, the 2020 season, now that the Super Bowl has been played, it's in the past. We have moved on and all of our sights are set on the draft we'll have a chat you're like a uh, like a 60 year old dad from the 1940s says son let's go have a catch yeah let's have a chat yeah how do you like do a uh, conversation is that better i would just say we chatted with not have a chat yeah, yeah. way different way different yeah good point good point um We'll dive into some news that we got here on this Wednesday, uh, just a little bit before we started recording the episode, found out that the Broncos uh, have parted ways with A.J. Boye. So what does that mean for next season at cornerback? You know, do the Broncos now have a, a glaring hole there on that, on the defense at that position? Yeah, big, uh, maybe the biggest question mark, Phil, on the team besides the quarterback position, obviously. Yeah. And then uh, we'll wrap things up by talking about the Super Bowl. Did the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, did that defense provide a blueprint for the Broncos and other teams around the NFL on how to slow down Patrick Mahomes and that Chiefs explosive offense? Eric, they did not find the end zone in that game. You know, we spend so much time talking about how it's important to score touchdowns against the Chiefs, that settling for field goals doesn't really matter because they could flip the script so fast. Turns out they only scored three field goals. Yeah, if anyone listening to this podcast is in a hurry and they don't have time to listen to everything else and they just want to know, like, is there a blueprint? The answer is no. And so that just, there's your answer. You can now turn this off. If you want to keep listening. I disagree. I disagree. Oh, that should tell you all you need to know then. Yeah, there you go. If you like me and you are smart about football, <laughs> like me, yeah, <laughs> yeah. like me, uh, then uh, I think you should listen. I think you should listen. Let's be clear. I want people to listen because I have things to say about it. I'm just, I'm trying to be considerate and like, maybe if you just don't have that much time, but you, you want to know the answer, I just gave it to you. Yeah. Someday I'll teach you about how this whole thing works. You know, like here's like why we structure things this way and like sort of, you know, maybe a PowerPoint would help you. Yeah. Do you know how to make one of those? That's advanced yeah. technology. <laughs> What's a computer? Exactly. Yeah. Eric, let's just uh, go ahead and dive right into the first topic here. The Broncos have parted ways with AJ Boyer. I don't think that this was a surprise for anyone considering uh, that the cap is expected to go down next season. Boyer scheduled to make a lot of money. So this move going to open up some options for the Broncos. 
Yeah, and it wasn't just about money, Phil. I think part of it, too, is that Boye still expected to miss two more games because of the suspension that he had last season. You couldn't necessarily, you know, if he played well last year, I think this is a perfectly reasonable salary to give a top cornerback. I think it was a a confluence of factors that included the fact that he didn't have an interception for the first time in his career since he became a starter. He only played seven games because of injury and the suspension. The Broncos secondary just especially at the cornerback position, wasn't anywhere close to what the Broncos thought it would be. Um, And so just too much of a chance to kind of bring him back, uh, which is unfortunate, Phil, because I think the the potential there was really great. He, the Broncos had kind of needed a guy that could force turnovers, could get interceptions. Boye seemed like he could be that guy. It just, it didn't quite work out. And like you mentioned, Phil, because of the circumstances with the salary cap, this was a move the Broncos needed to make. And I think that there was a lot of expectations on Boye last year when the Broncos made the move to bring him in. He's a Pro Bowl kind of guy, uh, an eight-year veteran now, 14 career interceptions. I think that the expectation was that he would be able to come in and go head-to-head with some of the top wide receivers in the NFL that the Broncos were going to be facing. And, you know, that never quite materialized out on the field. Um you know, the Broncos obviously brought in, uh, drafted a third-round pick, Michael Ojemudia, last year. He got a lot of valuable playing time. But now this move for the Broncos uh, creates some space there. Who Who's going to guard the top guy? Who's going to guard Mike Evans? You know, somebody big. They don't play Mike Evans, but somebody from that sort of that mold. Who's going to guard Mike Williams? You know, uh, who's going to guard these type of players? There's a question there for the Broncos. Who's going to guard Terrell Owens? Who's going to guard Jerry Rice? Exactly. That's kind of what you're saying. They don't play those guys either, but who Brandon would? Brandon Marshall. Yeah. Demarius Thomas. Who's going to guard these? Who's went from Jerry Rice to Brandon Marshall? Big wide receivers is who I was. That's right. I'm not sure if you were following that. I really wasn't. I'm not I'd be impressed if anyone was following that. But no, I, thought, I think. I was thinking about last year, to be fair. Yeah, That's yeah. what I was thinking about. The, the decisions are maybe not um, done yet, because if you decide Michael Ojemudi is one of your starters, that you trust Bryce Callahan to be that um, nickel guy when, you're, when you have three corners on the field, then maybe you just you feel the need that you get one guy in free agency or one guy in the draft and then maybe get a depth piece. That, that could be one path, and we don't know yet what George Payton's evaluation of Michael Ojemudia and Bryce Callahan is. Um, Bryce Callahan did take a pay cut last year. It'll be interesting to see if maybe he does something similar this year, given that, again, he has not completed an NFL season in his career. Um, the more interesting thing, Phil, will be what happens if George Payton decides Michael Ojemudia is not the is not a starter on this team or Bryce Callahan cannot be counted on to be a starter on this team. Then you start looking at, Maybe you have to add a guy in free agency and use the ninth pick on a corner and then use a late round pick on a corner. And you kind of build your entire off season around those cornerback positions. I'm kind of of the opinion, Phil, that it's going to be closer to that second option where maybe you decide Michael Ojemudi is a good depth player, but maybe he's not a top level starter. And so it really wouldn't surprise me if the Broncos try to get two high level players at the cornerback position this off season. Could be something like what they did with the wide receiver position last year, where they used their first two picks in the draft on the same position. It's a little bit rare, but the Broncos did it last year. Maybe that's another good option. And we'll get to uh, what Daniel Jeremiah thinks about this. But I would say that number nine pick, you're right in a sweet spot there where most likely you'll have the opportunity to get the top cornerback coming out of college, whether that's uh, Caleb Farley or if that's a Patrick Sertain, somebody like that, where you expect them to come in and be a major contributor right away. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, what obviously free agency comes first, and there's some decent options there. I think William Jackson from uh, Cincinnati is kind of considered the top premier option right now. Um, He was a first-round pick in 2016, played his fifth-year option last year, but has not been extended. I think it's kind of the expectations that the Bengals will bring him back, but if he's somehow able to get away, that's kind of the the Byron Jones of this year's class, if you will. Phil, I'm not sure if that top level option is the direction the Broncos will go, just because if you're keeping Justin Simmons, which I think 
you know, it sounds like based in some way or another, the Broncos will try to do that. He's either going to be paid as the top safety in the league or, or right there with them. And so can you afford to pay two guys in that same secondary, you know, top level money? I, I think it's more likely that you get somebody in free agency who's kind of in that second tier guys, maybe a, a Chidobia Wuzier. I know maybe you would be a fan of that move, Phil. Um, and then, like you said, you get a certain, you get a Farley in the first round. Uh, we'll get to this in a little bit, Phil, when we talk about the Chiefs, but cornerbacks uh, and linebackers, I think, are, are crucial defensive positions that the Broncos have to upgrade at. Broncos linebacking core, I think you expected Alexander Johnson to take a bigger leap than he did maybe. They need some help there. So uh, Micah Parsons could be an answer as well from Penn State, but yeah, I think right now, if you were if you were ranking leaders in the clubhouse, a, a cornerback is probably what I would guess. The interesting thing to me about this Boye move is that it's really the first big piece that Peyton has made a decision about um, since coming in and taking over the general manager duties. So, you know, we'll see how things fall here. But you brought up Bryce Callahan. I mean, there's no guarantee that he's going to be back next season. And if they decide to make a move there, then they'll definitely have to address cornerback in the draft some way, shape, or form. Because, you know, you're just going to – you need guys who can match up in the NFL. At some point, there's going to be one-on-one coverage, man coverage, and they've got to hold up long enough for the pass rush to get home or they can't give up a huge explosive play. And I do think that Michael Ojemudia got some valuable experience. I mean, he guarded some some tough guys in the league last year, and I think that he showed the mental toughness to be able to say, yeah, I just gave up a play, but I'm, I'm right back here. I'm learning. I'm growing. And I'd be surprised if they diminished his role moving forward. Yeah. I mean, I think his role at its best or intended role at its best was as the third cornerback. You know, they never intended for him coming into the season to be – the number one guy. I think they were hoping he could be um, a guy that could match up on the second wide receiver um, or the team's number two or three option, depending on how they line up. And I think he showed enough to do that. If I had to pick like a perfect scenario, Phil, I would say Bryce Callahan returns or maybe a, a restructured deal, which he's shown um, some openness to doing in the past because when healthy, Phil, I think he's been really good. You know, he was almost, if he had played a full season, arguably would have been my defensive player of the year. He made some big plays, was really good in coverage, um, brought an added element that they didn't have a year ago. So uh, it would bring him back, maybe add a, a mid-level to upper to mid, but not not top tier like William Jackson type in free agency, and then use that first pick on a top corner that you think can be a number one guy. And then you have you have guys like Michael Ojemudia, you have guys like Isang Bassi that can be kind of those second level depth pieces. And all of a sudden you're in a good spot from a depth position because they were starters a year ago. And so they do have that experience, but um, I just think on a week to week basis, a guy like Patrick Sertain or Caleb Farley probably has a little bit more athletic ability than a Michael Ojemudia in terms of being able to cover these top guys. You know, with the Super Bowl and uh, 50 anniversary coming up this or having come and passed from last weekend, got a chance to really look back at some of the old video from the, from that no fly zone. And that grouping in the secondary there was really constructed well, you know, because you had your top guy in a keep to You had a first round pick in Bradley Roby, who was guarding the other guy on the outside. And then you had a really smart crafty player and Chris Harris jr. Covering the nickel. And then you had two really good complementary safeties in Darian Stewart and TJ Ward. I've, if you want to think about that mold and try to apply it here with this Broncos team, I think the safety position, if they can bring back both Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson, I think you're set there. That's a pretty which strong. Is, which is no guarantee. Yeah. To be fair. Definitely no guarantee. Um, even though I heard that Kareem Jackson is out doing some recruiting for the Broncos. I don't. It's true. Sort of interesting there. But um, if you can, if you want to consider Ojemudia as that Bradley Roby type of role where he's guarding the second option on the defense, you've got the smart, crafty guy in Callahan guarding inside. If you can draft with the ninth pick a, a guy who's in the mold of Aqib Talib, then I think you're talking about a pretty legitimate secondary. 
Yeah. I mean, I think Roby benefited from the fact that he was able to kind of just focus on those. He would just focus on coming in on the nickel defense and could be a playmaker. You know, we saw that even more in 2016, as he got more comfortable, he would make these big plays, these pick sixes, these interceptions. We need to see more of that from Michael Ojemudia before you say like, he's a guy that can fill that role. And, and granted the secondary doesn't have to be that good. Phil, that was, we think one of the best secondaries in the history of the game, but you're right in that you want, you want somebody that can fit in the slot, somebody that can match up against a tall physical receiver, somebody that can cover a, a quicker um, craftier type guy. You need all those pieces. Uh, and it'll just be interesting to see the the direction George Payton goes in because he's really got the chance here to, he could choose to just make a, a tweak here now that boy is gone, or he could, he could overhaul, overhaul the, the whole secondary, really. I mean, I would imagine Justin Simmons is back, but Kareem Jackson, he's got a team option this year. Like we've mentioned, Bryce Callahan, uh, he make a lot of money. Um, Oja Moody is a third-round pick, so you've got some invested in him, but not a, not a ton. I mean, it, you could foreseeably, if George Payton wanted to, the entire secondary could turn over pretty quickly. Yeah. And I mean, we got a glimpse of that at the end of last season when Boye was out with his suspension, Callahan was hurt, St. Bassey was out hurt. All of a sudden there was like the the closets bare, you know, and Will Parks is out there guarding wide receivers. The cupboard, sorry, the cupboard's bare. I was close. You were close. The cupboard I almost didn't stop. I was like, what did... Oh, that's good. The cupboard was bare, you know? But Ojemudia and Bassey could be those those nice reserve pieces, so that instead of having to turn to, gosh, I don't even feel I can't even tell. Kevin Tolliver, I think, was a guy who Excuse played. Me? <laughs> yeah, you've never even heard of these people. Um, Parnell Motley played. Like instead of having to turn to those types of options, maybe you go to an Ojemudia or a Bassey in a reserve role. Exactly. I think that no matter what was going to happen this offseason, they needed to address that position. And then now that the now that they parted ways with Boye, now it becomes more of a, okay, obviously we're going to have to commit serious resources to this, whether it's in free agency with money or a high round draft pick. It's going to be a priority, I think. And I think that you'll see how well Peyton works with Vic Fangio because if you're trying to address some defensive needs – we know what kind of cornerback Vic Fangio likes. He likes a bigger cornerback that's willing to get in there and make a big tackle and isn't afraid of physical play. We heard how important that was to Vic Fangio at the end where, um, who was it? Who was uh, not making it? Was it Devontae Bosby? Yeah. Who, who didn't, uh, you know, go all in on a tackle and got benched in a game. So I think that we'll get an idea of like, how well these two see eye to eye in terms of let's make a pick with that number nine overall pick, a guy who we expect to be here for a long, long time. Let's see how that meshes with what Vic Fangio likes to do. Yeah. And we'll take a, a closer look, Phil, I'm sure as we get closer to the draft and free agency at, at these specific guys and kind of what's the difference between a, a Farley and a certain, but um they're both, it seems like good prospects that could definitely help Denver. And, and nine is maybe the sweet spot of where you get good value for picking a cornerback. I think that that's a perfect spot just because you, you can draft a guy who's going to be a, a franchise player at that at cornerback. You know, you, that's, the, that's the perfect spot to draft a number one cornerback. And you're going to be getting the top guy, most likely, considering how, uh, you know, offensive tackles, quarterbacks, they all tend to bunch up, you know, in that first eight picks or, you know, usually top 10 picks. At nine, you could be getting your choice of whatever cornerback you want. So I also think the first overall pick is good because you could get like Trevor Lawrence if you wanted. Yeah, but you probably wouldn't take um, Caleb Farley with the number one overall, you know. No, I'd take Trevor Lawrence and yeah. then just score yeah. 50 points a game. Yeah. Do you think that's what's going to happen? Do I think the Broncos are going to take Trevor Lawrence? I do not. No, I mean, do you think Trevor Lawrence is going to score 50 points a game? Uh, if you gave him Jerry Judy and Noah Fan, Cortland Sutton, maybe. They got LaVisca Chenault down there. Okay. <laughs> Ever heard of him? Yeah, you're like, trade for Chenoweuzier and LaVisca. Anybody else I'm missing? That, those are the only buffs those in the NFL, good. right? 
Well, ever heard of David Bakhtiari? Huh? The highest paid left tackle in the game. Ever heard of him? I have heard of him. Yeah. Akilo Witherspoon? Akilo, yeah. Yeah. That could be a... He was okay for the 49ers. Yeah. This isn't a Buffs podcast, though. No, it's certainly not. Yeah. We'll get to the Cats section soon, though. Got some good prospects from the Cats. Oh, really? Yeah. Rashawn Slater, considered the borderline top offensive line prospect at tackle. And then Greg Newsom could be a nice cornerback option, like in the second or third round. That's uh, Panay Sewell. That's the guy from Oregon. Yeah. Not according to your guy, Daniel Jeremiah, who we're going to hear from. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Little uh, little tease there. You finally got it. Yeah. You got it. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You pick up fast. I, I'm impressed. Eric, like you just mentioned, let's get to my interview with NFL Network's Daniel Jeremiah. Uh, go over a bunch of different things here, including who is the second best quarterback in this year's draft after Trevor Lawrence. And uh, we'll also ask him uh, what direction he he thinks the Broncos might go in at number nine. Daniel, uh, thanks so much for taking some time to chat here. I know this is a busy time of year for you. Uh, normally, we're getting set to go to the Combine. Of course, that's not happening this year. How much of an effect do you think that's going to have on uh, the teams and the prospects? Yeah, it's different. It, I mean, I guess par for the course, right, for this year. Uh, everything just being a little bit different. But, um, you know, I, I think teams are are comfortable with the kind of the zoom interviews that they they're able to do with these guys. They did it last year, um, not being able to bring in guys for visits. So I think that part of it, so it won't be this big of a deal, uh, but just getting the testing numbers, you know, that, that's kind of the the challenge. So, you know, you get out to these pro days, but you know, one field is not comparable to the other one uh, in terms of the 40 times. So I've actually been talking to some teams that have said the, um, the GPS stuff that they've been able to get, the catapult stuff and all that that data um, from the schools has been very valuable this year to, to try and rely on those numbers in lieu of uh, not having them on the combine. Uh, last year in the draft, the wide receiver class was one of the best that we've seen in a long time. What do you feel like the strength of this year's draft is so far? Yeah, I think it's another good year for receivers. Um, you know, I'm kind of wondering if we're ever going to see a down year for receivers the way that all these colleges are throwing it everywhere. So it's another it's another good year. I don't think it's as as uh, deep as we had last year, but it's a good group. Um, and then you think offensive tackle this year, there's a lot of depth there. Um, so that's another position that, that's uh, it's really going to be you know picked apart here as we go through the, the top part of the first round. I think you're going to see these offensive tackles go flying off the board. Um, but so a lot of depth receiver, offensive tackle on the defensive side of the ball. I think it's a pretty good group of corners. Um, you know, maybe not that that premier premier guy, but just a really good uh, solid depth there at that position. So those would be the three that kind of stand out to me. Uh, you mentioned the cornerback spot there. This week, the Broncos get rid of uh, A.J. Boye at that number nine spot overall. Some mocks uh, have Patrick Sertain there, Caleb Farley. What do you like yeah. about those two guys? Well, I, I like both of them. I like Farley the, the best. I, I think he's got really, really good instincts and ball skills to go along with the, the size and the physicality that he has. Uh, to me, the difference with him and Sertan, they share those qualities, but I think some of the, the quickness, some of the short area quickness, I think Farley's just a little more comfortable. So he'd be able to match up with the different size you know, receivers you're going to get. Some of those smaller guys, he'll be able to mirror and match them a little bit better. Uh, but Sertan, again, size length, he's going to run in the four threes. Everybody knows about the genes there with his dad. He's, he's a pro's pro. Um, so he'll be ready to play right away. I think both those kids are, are pretty much locks to go in the top 15 and should be able to step right on the field and go. Uh, I know you come out with your top 50 list every year, and that's always uh, you're working on that. Uh, at the number nine spot where the Broncos sit, you have Micah Parsons there, the linebacker from Penn State. Uh, after seeing what guys like Devin White, you know, uh, Levante David did in the Super Bowl, uh, what do you like about Parsons? Well, you start with the ability to run, right? You saw that in the Super Bowl. If you can't run at linebacker, it's it's going to be hard for you right now. It's at a premium. Um, so he can really, really run. He's big. I mean, he's 240 pounds. He's uh, 6'3", whatever he is. Um, and he's got big-time range because of his speed. He can really cover, and you see him cover. You're not just uh, you know projecting, oh, he's a good athlete. He'll be able to cover it. Penn State had him covering tight ends. He did it very, very well. Um, he's a great blitzer, both inside and outside off the edge. 
Um, there's, there's really not much he can't do. I mean, he is a very gifted player. And I think that, that versatility, athleticism, um, and the ability in the passing game, both to cover and then to rush, if you want to rush him, is what's going to send his value sky high. Uh, you think that it would make sense as high as number nine for, for a guy like Parsons? I wouldn't, I wouldn't have any problems whatsoever if they went in that direction. If they felt, you know, hey, we, we feel like there's some good corner depth in this draft. We can address that a little bit later on. I mean, they, they need to address that position. Uh, but they have free agency to see what they can do there, and they have the rest of the draft. So, I mean, I would have no problem at all um, saluting that pick if they took Parsons. It would be a great fit. Uh, on Friday, we know that Trevor Lawrence is expected to do his only uh, on-field workout for teams. Uh, obviously, he's the number one guy, but some people are talking maybe the Broncos might be interested in a quarterback. Uh, after Lawrence, who do you think is that next guy? Yeah, for me, it's Zach Wilson from BYU. Um, I think he's just a really gifted thrower, um, natural, everything he does, you know, off on platform, off platform, different arm angles. Um, he's just really a natural thrower. So uh, he'd be number two for me. And then you get into the interesting guys really with, with Trey Lance and Justin Fields, where um, I think tremendous upside for both guys um, and, and Justin Fields with his speed and athleticism to go along with, with what he can do as a thrower is very intriguing. Um, they're, they're not, they're not totally clean prospects. They've got some things they need to work through. Trey Lance obviously doesn't have the experience is only a one-year starter, only one game this year. Uh, Justin Fields just you know, he had a little bit of a rough patch during the season uh, before he really lit up uh, that playoff game against Clemson. Um, so you've got to kind of comb through that and, and get comfortable with that. And to me, know that this is not a pick for year one. This is a pick for year two and three down the road. Um, and, you know, look, the, the blueprint for those guys, when you see Mahomes uh, being able to sit and rest, I'm not saying they're going to be Mahomes, but that's the formula, Phil, is you got to be able to rest those guys, uh, let them sit and learn and uh, absorb everything. And it might have a huge payoff. It's crazy to think that Mahomes was the 10th pick overall or like Deshaun Watson is was the 12th guy. I mean, with the yeah. Broncos sitting at nine, it feels like maybe some of those top guys are already going to be gone, but you never know, huh? No doubt. And if you go through, I think uh, maybe the last 10 or 11 drafts, I, I did it the other day. I want to say it was seven or eight of those drafts. You would say in hindsight, the best quarterback to emerge from that draft was not the first one taken. So it was the vast majority of them, right? So it's not the number one guy. It's it's like you mentioned, you get uh, Watson, Mahomes, and uh, we've seen even with the Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson group, you know, those guys weren't the first ones gone there. So um, there is some precedent there to uh, to be pretty interested in the quarterback position where the Broncos are picking. Uh, having been a former scout yourself, uh, living in that world, you know, uh, what kind of reputation does the Broncos' new general manager, George Payton, have? A really good a, a reputation. You know, I, he's one of the guys, for, for some reason, our paths just have not crossed, so I haven't got a chance to get to know him. But uh, I know a lot of folks have worked with him and for him, and nothing but great things to say about him. Um, just, you know, smart, detailed, organized. Um, he's had, as you guys know, plenty of opportunities to leave prior to this one, but this was a, a one that really interests him and, and, uh, he ended up making the move, but, uh, reputation wise. Yeah. I've never heard one bad thing about him. Uh, for him to step in, like at this point, really any new GM, what's the biggest, uh, task to try and get caught up to speed and get going here. You know, everything is on such a condensed timeline for him. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I think we have, what, six new general managers uh, around the league. And to me, it's, you can't skip steps, right? You've got free agency coming up, you've got the draft, but before you get to either one of those, you need to learn your own roster, um, get to know your roster. You have your coaching staff to be able to understand what they look for, what they need in terms of, of how players fit in their system. So, before you can kind of go out and study everything else, you need to do an audit and, and really study what you have there in the building. So uh, that to me is the challenge on a time crunch is to, to be, you know, getting ready for free agency, but man, you better got You've got to start with doing your homework on your own group. And the last one I had for you, uh, Daniel is just, what is this process like for you these next couple of months? What, what do you like to do? How do you get ready for the draft? Yeah, I'm going position by position uh, right now. So it's it's a little different not having a combine because I kind of have that combine list and I'm like, okay, I want to get all these guys done by the time we get to Indianapolis. So this year uh, we don't have that kind of that marker. So it kind of throws you off a little bit. 
but it's just every day, you know, my friend, uh, Phil Savage used to always say when uh, we were together, um, man, it's, uh, it, it's kind of just advance the ball, right? Every day, if you can just advance the ball with your work and stay on task. So uh, that's something that I've tried to do. It's why I came up with the, the moniker move the sticks, which was just kind of, hey, you know, not touchdowns, just first downs, just a little bit more each and every day. And then eventually we'll get there. Well, I love it. I don't know how you guys get get to know so many guys because come draft day, <laughs> you're like an expert on everybody. So it's really impressive. Well, it's uh, it it's something I love doing. So it's not like I'm sitting here having to do manual labor. I'm just watching pass rushers today. So it's not that bad. <laughs> All right, Daniel. Well, we appreciate your insight and thanks for your time. I appreciate you. Have a good one. My thanks to Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network. You can follow him on Twitter at Move the Sticks. Eric, he comes out with a top 50 prospects list. That's what he likes to do. You know, uh, instead of maybe mocking right now, it's a little too early, in my opinion, to have a legitimate mock draft, but he likes to go, hey, here are my top 50 guys. Uh, he's got Trevor Lawrence, obviously, number one. But then Jamar Chase, the wide receiver from LSU, number two overall prospect, according to Jeremiah. Uh, Kyle Pitts, the tight end out of Florida. Zach Wilson, he has at number four. And then Caleb Farley at number five. What about number six, Phil? Do you want me to keep going? Well, just number oh, six. Oh, I'm sorry. There we go. Yeah, number six. Usually, you know, top five, that's like a big deal. Okay, you're top five. Number six is someone named Rashawn Slater the top tackle prospect in the entire draft. Yeah. That that's impressive. Pretty I nice. mean, the one thing that we know about big 10 football is that they like to run the clock, run the ball and win with defense. Yeah. This guy didn't even play last year, Phil. He opted Excuse out. Me? Really? Yeah. You guys could have won the national championship. <laughs> Yeah, you're really showing how much you know about these top guys. Do you know where Kyle, no, Pitt, no, no. Kyle Pitts even played football? Top guy, the top five. Yeah. This guy's number six. Yeah. After that, I don't know. Kyle Pitts? Florida. Yeah. I just talked about him. Yeah. How many catches did he have in the ball game? Do you know? I do not know. Did he opt out of the ball game? He did. Oh, you're smart. You caught me. Yeah. Did he opt out? That's like kind of like a common thing. You Your know, closet is not game. bare. Thank you. I know. I picked this out today to wear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just, you open either of our our closets, Phil. Just a lot of sweaters. Yeah, a sweater for every occasion. Eric, I was going to save this for the end, but you know that um, it's supposed to be very cold this weekend. You know, like really cold. But the thing that I found interesting is why do such aggressive terms get associated with? weather like people are saying this is going to be an arctic blast i'm like whoa why why is it a blast or like they said this is an arctic invasion an invasion you know this we're talking about weather patterns here you know like it doesn't need to be so aggressive got it yeah uh-huh don't you think that's interesting never really thought about it before okay good 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 talk is your fern going to be okay? Oh, it's fake. Sorry, I forgot. No, that's real. Yeah, that's good. See how it's it's bending toward the sunlight? Eric? Drooping, yeah. It's bending. Not a droop? A droop. What's the difference no, between healthy. a bend and a droop? Droop has negative connotation in my opinion. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Eric, so yes. one more time here. Uh, thanks to Daniel Jeremiah, but let's move on to uh, – if we think that the Bucks provided a blueprint, Eric, you know, I think that there was so much hype – about uh, Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and rightfully so. I mean, they, you know, took care of the league all season long. The starters only lost one game to the Raiders. They put up big numbers. And we're expecting Mahomes versus Brady. We thought this was going to be a high-scoring affair, but just nine points for the Chiefs. So my question is, is it possible for other teams to look at what the Bucks did and say, let's try to design our defense this way? I mean, in like a fantasy world, yes, I think. In a, in a realistic standpoint, no. Just because I think so many things had to go the Buccaneers' way 
in order for them to play that way against the Chiefs. They were able to get tons, not just pressure, but tons of pressure with four rushers, which is how you have to beat the Chiefs. And they were only able to do that, really, Phil, because the Chiefs' starting two tackles were out. And, of course, their um, starting guard, who opted out before the season to go save lives with COVID. So they they essentially didn't have 60% of their offensive line. So you're able to get pressure with four. Then the Bucs have two incredible linebackers in Devin White and Levante David that were, they didn't shut Kelsey down, but they were kind of able to keep him in check. And then the the cornerbacks, I mean, they played well, you know, they weren't, I don't think spectacular in any means, but they were helped out by the fact, of course, that they could play coverage because you were getting pressure with four. So when I talk about like in a fantasy world, if you're able to build a defense where you can get incredible pressure with four guys and you have two star studded linebackers and you have good guys in the back end, good safety play, then sure. And the chiefs are, are down their top two tackles. Then yeah, you've got a chance to hold the chiefs to nine points. But I just think from a realistic standpoint, one, it's really hard to build a defense like that. And two, I just think the circumstances that the chiefs faced made this like a, a once in a, you know, every season or so type, deal. Um, I kind of look at it as Phil, like in the, I'll use a Broncos example in Super Bowl 48, the Seahawks shut the Broncos offense down, but that wasn't, you know, the Broncos offense was still really good the next year too. It didn't necessarily provide a blueprint that every team could use. If you look at Peyton Manning in the past in Indianapolis, the Patriots would shut them down. And then the next year they would go blow out a bunch of people. I mean, it takes a very good defense at different levels and some other factors for this to happen. So no, I don't think that they're going to come out next season and all of a sudden the chiefs scoring output is going to drop from 35 to 20. I just don't think that that's realistic. You bring up super bowl 48 with that Broncos offense. To me, that's a completely different situation because the momentum swings in that game put the Broncos offense in a weird position right off the bat. I mean, the the ball snapped over Peyton Manning's head, created such a, a bizarre shift in emotion. You, you were just like, oh, that was weird. But you were kind of like questioning yourself the whole time. And when um, the opening kick of the second half gets returned for a touchdown, you're in a weird position. Nothing really weird happened in this Super Bowl other than that Bucks defense really just took it to them. And, you know, I think that it's easy now to go back and look and be like, oh, well, the Chiefs are missing this guy and they're missing that guy and Patrick Mahomes' toe is hurt. That was not the talk heading into the game, though. Nobody was saying, gosh, I wonder if this Chiefs team is going to score more than nine points. You know, like that That thought never – nobody was like, I think that this is going to be that type of a game, the way, the way that it played out. Nobody was like – I'm looking at this and gosh, this patch, this uh, chief's offense is really missing a lot of pieces. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if they really came out and laid an egg. So uh, what I think happened was yes, the pass rush on Mahomes was outstanding. Shaquille Barrett had a very nice game. I think the Broncos, if Von Miller comes back, could do something similar there where they get an effective pass rush with Bradley Chubb and a hel- and some of these guys back for another year. I think they can get pressure on Mahomes with four guys. The 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 piece that I think that really changed things was that that interior linebackers, the guys you mentioned, Levante David and Devin White. Those are two special players that maybe when I say blueprint, you say we're going to need a guy who can do something similar to come in and, and play this, play this style against these guys, because I think the way that they played was really effective. One play in particular sticks out to me, Eric, where it was third down and Romo even knew it. He was like, this is Travis Kelsey time. And uh, on the other side, Tyree Kill, he didn't even run a route because it was supposed to be, I think, a screen pass or something like that, where he didn't he didn't even run a, a route. Everybody knew that was going to Kelsey, and they did a great job minimizing the the gut punches that the Chiefs normally get. You know, they normally pick up a crazy third down play or they score a touchdown when you've just almost sacked Mahomes. They that never happened to them. 
and they never gave up anything super deep. Like they never gave up like a 60 yard touchdown or something. And it seemed like the Bucks really learned from that first meeting when Tyreek Hill had more than 200 yards in the first quarter, the first time that they played, it seems like they really learned. They adjusted their scheme. And because the, the ability of their middle linebackers, they were really able to make that Kansas city offense not look like Kansas city. Right. No, I totally agree with that. And I think, but just because like no one expected that to happen doesn't mean that every other team can make it happen. You know, like you mentioned, you have to have those really special linebackers. And uh, Phil, I think even if say you replayed this game between these two teams in three months when the chief's offensive line was healthy and, and Patrick Mahomes is healthy, could the Bucks still win? Yeah, absolutely. But I think it's more likely that it's, you know, is it a low scoring game where it's in the, the 20s and Mahomes is able to do more because he's he's healthier. He's not facing maybe the Bucks can't get pressure with four because the Chiefs tackles are back. And I know that's making excuses to some degree, but I just think that also Andy Reid's so good at adjustments and calling offensive plays that I think he'll learn from this and figure out, hey, if somebody does get pressure with four and we drop everybody the Chiefs kind of made an error in not adjusting. Like they didn't have these quick routes. They kept kind of being stubborn and trying to hold the ball and get these deep plays that they've kind of grown accustomed to getting. But, you know, maybe there was a chance that they could have gotten a little bit more if they had kind of taken some of these check downs. Uh, I just, I think it's the teams that are going to be able to do that to them are so few because you do have to have a really good interior rush. You have to have like a, a Vita Vea, somebody at that nose position that can get push in the A gap. You know, you have to have a couple really good outside linebackers. You have to have some really good inside linebackers that can stop Travis Kelsey because even if you get that pressure, Kelsey is so good at finding a spot in his own. If you just have kind of a replacement level player, he's going to beat you up all game. And we've seen that happen at times over the last five years here against the Chiefs. Uh, Phil, so, uh, you know, is it possible that another really good team that has those, the personnel could look at it and say, maybe this is a way to keep it close? Sure. But I, I think even if you have all those pieces in the future, you're probably going to hold them in the high teens or low 20s as opposed to, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if Mahomes has never held to nine points again. I mean, that they just, it was kind of ridiculous in turn that they weren't able to score. And I'll just say there were kind of some takes going around on Twitter, Phil. Like, is this similar to the the Cam Newton season? Like the Broncos figured out Cam Newton and he was never quite the same. To me, it's different because that first year in Carolina or that year in Carolina, that's kind of when things took off with Cam. They were running an offense. They had success that season, but it was kind of like a, a one-year wonder almost that, that he was playing at that level. Mahomes has played at an MVP standard or around there for the last three years. You know, I think it's very clear that Mahomes is not going to just all of a sudden take this major dip down uh, and playing kind of at a a replacement level. So he's here to stay. I think with Andy Reid, they're going to continue to improve and adapt their scheme. I mean, it does show the need though, like you mentioned for a great inside linebacker. And that's why a guy like Micah Parsons could be important, but I just don't want people to look at that Super Bowl and be like, well, they're figured out. They're solved. We got it now. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that the Bucks defense is loaded. I mean, they've got a lot of really talented playmakers on that defense. Interesting you brought up the Cam Newton. I think one of the things that happened to Cam, and it's started with that Broncos Super Bowl defense, is that I think people figured out if you really hit Cam a lot, you get pressure on him and you make him pay for doing some of the things that make him dynamic – then he starts to second guess himself. He starts to get a little bit frustrated and he plays a little bit different. You know, maybe he doesn't want to be quite as physical because while he can take advantage of certain matchups, when big giant linebackers like DeMarcus Ware are pounding on you all game long, you don't really want to do that. I'll say this about Patrick Mahomes. You might see a different style of player where he's like, maybe I need to protect my body a little bit because I don't want to be banged up heading into the Super Bowl again. You know, maybe maybe you'll see a little bit of a different style from him. I think one thing people are really critical of with Mahomes is that when he takes the snap, he just starts going back, you know, and he is a magician out there. I mean, he 
can make linebackers miss and, and safeties blitzing hesitate like nobody I've ever seen before. And he's got the arm strength to make some of these ridiculous throws where he's parallel with the ground. I mean, it's crazy. But I think that if you're just looking at a purely football standpoint of it, you might say, hey, you actually should probably step into the pocket here, you know, or like, hey, you might not be able to do all of these things come uh, year 20, like Tom Brady. Maybe you should try to start thinking about adjusting your game so that you can have longevity, your body can stay healthier, and we're not talking about uh, an offseason full of rehab and surgery. Yeah, I mean, turf toe to some extent is just unlucky. You know, I, you could stub your toe. And he any- got concussed, you know, like there were some questions about his availability because of the concussion. He wasn't able to finish that game against the Browns. I mean, those are positions where you don't want your superstar quarterback in come the most important stretch of the of the season. Sure, no, but part of what makes him so great is his ad-libbing. I think he'll continue to do that. Um, he's already tremendous at knowing kind of when he scrambles by the sideline, when to step out and not take a hit. He doesn't take all that many of them. Um, so I, I don't know how much he'll change his playing style. I will say in his defense, stepping up in the pocket was hard. I mean, there's some videos where at the snap, all four guys are immediately through the line and it's like, it's like they open the gates and they're like he coming. He always does that. He's always heading back. So, and he yeah. can make amazing plays. Don't get me wrong. Usually that ends up with like a 75 yard touchdown to Tyree Hill. Yeah. I mean, I, I, if I were guessing, I think the odds are greater that next season Mahomes has like a renewed anger or drive and goes out and throws 45 touchdowns than the odds of him like dropping back to 30 touchdowns and, and not playing well. I mean, to think that I, I've just seen enough from him that like I'm convinced that he's going to continue to play well. Of course. And, of course. That's not think, what I'm saying. But I'm saying maybe there are some areas where he can he can make some adjustments. Sure. Yeah. Obviously, he's the greatest quarterback in the NFL. There's not there's not much to be like, oh well, he's not gonna be like this forever. You know. That's what but, you're saying. <laughs> you're talking about in fifteen forever, years. He yeah. Could. Okay, forever, yes. He needs to make some adjustments because he won't be able to do these things. And we even saw John Elway have to do that. You know? Yeah, but I mean the kid is 25 years old it's his fourth season in the league i don't think he needs to worry about it right now the, what what saying, he's doing is working see some different we might see a different patrick mahomes next year is what i'm saying and to me it is a little silly to be like oh maybe he'll be motivated next year like you don't think he was motivated to try and beat tom brady in this game i think he was motivated to beat tom brady in this game yeah i think it's also but next year when he faces tom brady he's going to be really motivated he said after the game, this was going to fuel him for the rest of his yeah, career. It's a nice I mean, thing to say. That, it's a nice thing to say. I mean, if you don't think that like guys take motivation from certain things like losses, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, they just, they just do. I do think that, but I don't think like, Oh gosh, now all of a sudden he's going to really go from here to like this. So he's going to go from the very best to even a little bit better. I think there's a reason that it's so hard to repeat and that after you've won, there's a natural sense that you get complacent a little but bit. But they weren't complacent. I mean, they the starters lost one game. You know, they were yeah, the number they, one seed. They won, a lot of, they won a bunch of games by fewer than one by one possession or less. Yeah, they won some overtime games. It's true. Eric, let's uh, wrap this thing up. And uh, we've got some comments from YouTube that, uh, you know, I thought maybe we could point out. Eric Ramos our good friend, a good friend of the neutral zone. He says, Hey, Phil and Eric excited for another show. You guys are my everything. Love it. After receiving, after receiving a little bit of uh, hate the week before about, about the way we start the show. Thank you very much, Eric, for coming through. And then uh, we got another comment from AJ Mers. He says, Randy Gratishar greater than John Lynch, which Eric, I know that uh, we've had a chance to uh, go over who we think might be next in line in terms of Broncos going to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean, listen, we don't need to degrade or denigrate John Lynch 
for the sake of saying that Randy belongs in the Hall of Fame. I think we all believe that Randy belongs there. It's a different process. John Lynch was still a modern era candidate, which means that five of them a year go into the Hall of Fame. It's a much easier process to be a part of. After you've been out of the game for 25 years, you go to that seniors pool. And with the exception of a couple of years ago, when they put 10 guys in, one or two a year go in every year. And so it's much, much more difficult. That's not to say that Randy Gratishar doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. He's a former defensive player of the year, uh, had a bunch of Pro Bowls. I mean, was the leader of that Orange Crush defense. Of course, he belongs in Phil. And I think there's signs that his case is moving in the right direction. He was one of the 20 finalists for the Centennial Slate. They picked 10 of them. Drew Pearson went in this year. So that's 11 of the 20. And then you've got two more who will go in in 2022. So you figure that sometime, assuming that someone doesn't phase out of the previous, of the modern era group and become an instant uh, senior candidate that people like, but you figure sometime in the next few years that Randy Granishar is, is probably in that equation and, and he deserves to be. But I mean, I don't like the idea of saying like John Lynch, doesn't deserve to be in because Randy Gratishar should be in. They're both Hall of Famers in my mind. Yeah. I mean, the fact that Randy Gratishar did not get in during that centennial slate where they picked 10 guys is mind boggling to me. I mean, I don't, I just don't understand that, but uh, to be fair, I think that it's easy to go back and blast the selectors after, after something like this. I don't think that's necessarily fair. I mean, there's a lot of really deserving players who belong in the hall of fame. It's a hard job to come up with these, with these names. I mean, Drew Pearson is a very deserving hall of Famer. I mean, uh, and he's gone through the disappointment of not getting in for so many years, just like Randy has. But I do think that Randy's time is, is on the way as is, as um, do a lot of Broncos players who are deserving, I think that their time is coming too. I think DeMarcus Ware, a uh, uh, first ballot guy next year, I think that he's got an excellent chance with his resume. And I do think that Mike Shanahan is a Hall of Famer. And so I think those two guys in particular, along with Randy, uh, should be definitely in the mix come uh, 2022. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, you know, I think with the Centennial slate, one of the reasons it was difficult for some of these guys to get in that, Broncos fans are used to watching is that they weren't just concerned with guys who were kind of clogged up in the last 30 to 40 years. They inducted some people who, you know, were contributor type people from the twenties and the thirties and the forties. And they made a, a conscious effort to really span the entire timeline of the game, which obviously doesn't include the Broncos for the first, what, four decades of the NFL's history. So that's part of the reason I think that Randy didn't make it. Um, his time is coming. I agree with you on Mike Shanahan, Phil. Very few coaches, I think 13, have ever won two Super Bowls. I believe seven have ever done it in back-to-back seasons. He has more than 200 wins. If you count his assistant coaching years with the Broncos, um, ranks, I think, 14th all-time in wins. He He is among the greatest coaches, and we've talked about this before. The way he kind of helped change the game from an offensive scheme standpoint is really important. And and he deserves to be in. I think Dan Reeves with four Super Bowl appearances is another guy who could get consideration at some point. He was on the list of finalists for the Centennial Slate. But Phil, I will say this, the Broncos have had a lot of guys get in in the last few years. And so we're going to come to a point, and I don't think it'll be next year because I think DeMarcus is going to get in next year. But we're going to get to a point where we go a year without a Bronco getting into the Hall of Fame. And I think people just have to understand that like Terrell Davis got into the Hall of Fame after a long wait. Steve Atwater got into the Hall of Fame after a long wait. John Lynch got into the Hall of Fame after a long wait. Pat Bowling got into the Hall of Fame after years of kind of explaining to the the world what impact he had on the game. So, so many people have been recognized, and I, I get that the team is still underrepresented, but I don't want there to be, you know, like uh, an angry response if we get to 2023 and Randy or Mike Shanahan doesn't go in and people are like, well, they hate the Broncos. No, they've put six or seven guys in here in the last five years. Like that's, that's as many as any team has had. Yeah. And I think that um, there's not a ton of bias against the Broncos because it's not like uh, in football, there's an East coast bias or something like that. I do think that 
uh, every team gets represented fairly in, in terms of media members selecting the classes every year. So there's, there's nothing like, oh, nobody ever watches the Broncos, so how are they supposed to know how good these guys are? No, I think that it's done very fairly. I will say I do think that they were making up for some past uh, misses, so I wouldn't necessarily say, oh, well, the Broncos have gotten lucky the last couple of years, some guys who weren't deserving or that kind of sort of thought process. I do think that they made up for, you know, guys like um, Terrell Davis and Steve Atwater. They should have been in a long time ago. So, like, the fact that there's been this new surge of Broncos getting in, Champ Bailey getting in, Peyton Manning getting in, uh, Mr. B getting in, that 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 was in the right time frame. So, like – there has been a lot of Broncos getting in recently, but a lot of it has been making up for the past. So would I be surprised if like DeMarcus Ware got in this year and then maybe the next year Mike Shanahan got in? No, I don't think, I don't think that that would be crazy, but I agree with you, Eric, that it's going to, at some point, it's going to get to a point where you're like, okay, a lot of Broncos have been getting in. Right. And if you're a fan of like, say you're a Jaguars fan and you're like, Man, we've been waiting Tony for Baselli, Tony Baselli yeah. to get in here for, for five years. And like, he's got to get in before he gets to that senior pool. And he's been a finalist a lot. Like, I'm sure there are fan bases that are like, why is a Bronco getting in every single year? And I, I agree that you're right that a lot of it is like making up for time where the Broncos had only four guys. And, you know, for the first 44 years of the team's existence, they didn't have a Hall of Famer. So, you're right that it's making up for time. And I think Randy and Mike Shanahan and DeMarcus all deserve to be in sooner or later. We're going to get to the point where a guy like Von Miller is up for induction. I mean, it'll be sooner than you think that those type of guys roll around, but um, yeah, I mean, it just, if we, there's so many deserving players in the seniors committee, there's so many deserving players in the coaches pool that if this year, Randy is not chosen or, um, the year after, like Mike Shanahan is not one of the coach nominees. I think your response or their general response should be like, man, like Mike Shanahan really deserves to be in. And like, I hope he gets in at some point, but it should not be like the hall of fame hates the Broncos. Cause yeah, that, the, that is not true. The response should be somewhat similar to the response with John Lynch. Like he's going to, he deserves to be in his time's going to come. Yeah. That should be the sort of the general feel around it. It is crazy that nobody from that Orange Crush defense is in the Hall of Fame. I mean, that is uh, something that needs to get adjusted. Right. And, it, you know, it's hard to – I know they don't do it like this or they're not supposed to do it like this, but you look at the class a couple years ago in 2019, Phil, they obviously – they induct eight people. Two of them are Broncos. Now this year they're going to induct eight people. Two of them are Broncos. I mean, it just – there's 32 NFL team and I get that Peyton Manning and John Lynch have other ties. And so it's not like that simple, but there's 32 organizations. Every organization hopes to have a hall of famer every year, because I think every organization believes that there's, there's guys that are snubs. Um, our Peter King would certainly tell us that, that every team has somebody that they believe should absolutely be there. Randy's on that list. But if you were to next year, say that Randy Gratishar is a senior, uh, selection or finalist and DeMarcus Ware is a is a modern era first ballot guy that's three times in the last four years that you've got multiple Broncos going in um well when you have the on-field success it's gonna lead to that sure so, yeah no I, that's fair I mean a team like the Jaguars haven't had that type of success that's true and playing by the rules you know exactly so you know they can't sure. take the league over, you know, in their first year. <laughs> I just i I think that Randy's time will come. I think Mike Shanahan's time will come. I just don't. I'm not going to be upset about it if it's not this yeah. coming year. Don't bash the selectors because I th- I do genuinely think that they do a really good job. I think that the NFL Hall of Fame is one of the better Hall of Fames. I mean they they do a really they, good job. They put people in, unlike baseball. Yeah, nice. exactly, exactly. It is interesting. I almost wonder, like, to me, Bill Belichick is already a Hall of Famer. The, the, I think you could, should almost put coaches in while they're active if, if they deserve it. Because, say, Bill Belichick coaches another 10 years or five years or whatever. He's going to be 70 by the time he retires. Say it takes a couple years to induct him. Like, don't you want him to 
be able to enjoy it for more than 10 years or whatever. Like I want to see prime Bill Belichick get up there and give a really grumpy speech at his enshrinement. You think that's different than players though, huh? Just, I mean, what well, if just a player be- has a, like Tom Brady could go in next year and it, you know, nobody would blink an eye. Well, I just think the odds, like a player is not going to play until they're 65 years old. Hmm. Like most players assuming you're I mean, I know it happens with senior candidates, but a hall of fame class every year, 90% of it is coming from modern era guys. And those are all within 25 years of their playing career. So you're in your sixties at, at the worst, you know, well, you might have some health problems or whatnot, you know? Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's not a perfect situation, but when somebody is 75 and going in, the odds are that they don't have 30 yeah. years to enjoy it. Especially you know, like, if they also played football too, and then they went on to coaching and then it's like, okay, you. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and somebody like a Bill Belichick who enjoys the history of the game so much, like part of the thing, like if I were to be in the Hall of Fame, Phil, I think something that would be cool would be every year getting to go do that ceremony where you welcome yeah. the new gold jackets or you get to sit up there on stage during the enshrinement or you get to go to, you know, whatever kind of exclusive events they have. The older you are when you go in, the, the fewer opportunities you have to to enjoy those things. And so that is one reason that you hope a Randy Gratishar or Mike Shanahan gets in sooner rather than later. Yeah. I mean, you saw that with uh, Mr. B, you know, of course. So. Yeah. Wish he would have been able to get in a little bit earlier. So uh, Eric, let's uh, wrap up the show. Like we used to uh, usually do with uh, shout outs. Uh, you got any shout outs uh, you want to claim? I guess, I guess Liz Manis did like a mm-hmm. zoom this week. I think that is true. I think she was doing a bunch of zooms more than one zoom in one I week. Think so. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yes. Um, I was going to say shout out to David Baker. I mean, he traveled yeah. all across the country at a lot of different stops to make sure that uh, each member of the class got a proper surprise. Of course, the one for Peyton Manning was uh, down at the at Empower Field at Mile High, but uh, you know, flying to John Lynch's home and knocking on the door there—really cool moment. Um, so, shout out to David Baker and the Hall of Fame for for doing it right. Yeah, some cool content from that day, Phil. All of a bunch of Peyton's former coaches, Gary Kubiak, Jim Caldwell, um, John Fox came in kind of virtually, his high school coach, um, Tony Dungy, Philip Fulmer. I don't know if I said David Cutcliffe already, but just some some cool conversations. You put together a really cool piece about Peyton's kind of high school and collegiate career and how it led to Denver. But um, just a kind of a really cool moment to see on video. I wasn't there personally, Phil, but um, just Peyton appreciates history more than anybody. And so it was kind of cool. He said over and over the line he's using is like 30 years of football in three minutes. It was pretty cool. Uh, I was not there personally either. Um, I just saw those interviews after they were already conducted, but um, it was, uh, it was cool to hear what those guys had to say. Everybody has a cool Peyton Manning story. So to be able to hear some from those guys was really cool. You know? Yeah. Tony Dungy talking about how Peyton wanted to practice while they were in Indianapolis with wet balls. That's pretty cool. Um, David Cutcliffe talking about recruiting Peyton Manning when he was coming out of Isidore Newman in New Orleans. Uh, Those are some cool stories that uh, only those guys can tell. So uh, if you haven't checked that out, that's on uh, DenverBroncos.com and also on our YouTube page. So uh, uh, Peyton Manning has also been shouting out Ashley Manning, his wife, a lot for uh, her help in in conducting these and making sure this all gets done. And uh, several people with the Broncos made sure that that uh, got done too behind the scenes. So a really cool deal there with the Hall of Fame. Eric, I'm curious about your thoughts on this before we say goodbye uh, I think it was John Lynch or maybe Peyton Manning said they should do this every year now where they fly. How do you feel about that? I like it. You know, I don't, I don't like the, we don't know many hall of famers that well, Phil, I don't think maybe you do. I don't know that many all that well, but we know Steve very well. And you can just tell kind of how much it, I think I can say sucks on the podcast, how much it sucks to like fly down to wherever the Super Bowl is and sit in a hotel room for hours, just kind of anxiously. And then you get a phone call that you didn't make it. And then you fly home, you know, after NFL honors. And it's just kind of like, I'm sure that plane ride back is just terrible. And this way, like, you know, a guy like say Reggie Wayne, who didn't make it, he obviously knows he didn't make it. And he got a phone call at some point, I'm sure. But there's the, you save yourself some of the, the headache and the heartbreak 
Plus, I think, as John Lynch mentioned, if you do get the knock, it's in a more like natural, um, authentic environment. More people can be around you. Um, you can do it in ways that you know, either your family is uh, all with you or, or you're at a, your former coaches are with you or whatever it might be. I just think the video is much more authentic and there's more to it than just a, a quick knock on a hotel room door. Mm. I do think I have a couple of thoughts about it. One, in a normal year, all the finalists will fly down to the Super Bowl location and have like a party. Do you know, I think there's something cool about the camaraderie that takes place at that party. That's like, oh, gosh, there's some like really cool stories. You know, these guys get to bond a little bit. So you'd be missing out on that. The other thing you'd be missing out on and having been in the room myself, you were there, too waiting for Mr. B to get that knock. There's something about sitting in a room and waiting for something, hoping it's going to happen that like sort of builds a little bit of drama in there where you're like, this is supposed to happen in the next two hours. And and sort of, you're just on edge the whole time. You don't really get that with this, but I agree that it sucks to be sitting in a hotel room and get a phone call instead. And you're just like, Oh, so there's like a give or a take there because you're like, okay, like my family is going to be in the hotel room too, you know, so like it's still special, but um, there was something cool about sort of tricking these guys and like having them be like, you know, Charles Woodson was sitting there filming an interview and then all of a sudden David Baker's there. Like there's something cool about seeing them in their own at- element. Yeah. And I think with the hotel rooms, everything looks the same. Every video is essentially the same. And these, they're all different. There's like a little twist on each one of them. Um, which is nice. I will say with, with Mr. B Phil, when we were in the room, I think we knew that that knock was coming. I mean, when, when someone is a finalist from a seniors or um, contributors committee, unless something goes very wrong, like they make it, it wasn't, it wasn't a hundred percent nerve, nerve wracking. No, it's certainly nervous. You're not sure when it's going to come. You're not sure like what the reaction is going to be, but, but you're, you're pretty sure. I mean, you're more, you're more sure than, probably anybody except Peyton Manning was that that knock is coming. Whereas if you're, if you're a Steve or you're a John Lynch, I think that it just kind of gets exhausting to go through that because you're really not sure. And to, to just kind of have to deal with that every year, I'm not sure is great. The John Lynch eight time finalist. That's not great. Where like the seventh time you get that phone call and you're like, that would suck. But even Peyton Manning was giving John Lynch a hard time for saying, you were having a family reunion, like at your own house. Like, come on, your antenna should have been up. Uh, right. But it, it was really cool. So I see the I see the ups and ups and uh, the pl- positives and negatives from both from both ways. So, all right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Neutral Zone. Our thanks once again to Jean- Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network at Move the Sticks on Twitter. Uh, our thanks to him for spending some time to talk about the draft. It's early in the process this year, uh, no combine, but it's still exciting and it's still time to, uh, we're, we're heading into mock draft season, Eric. It's time to break Let's go. this Let's thing do down. It. Yeah, exactly. So we also uh, talked about the Broncos move to part ways with AJ Boye. And uh, also if the Buccaneers provided a blueprint, I say yes. Eric says no. We'll have to see how, uh, how things play out next year here. So. That will do it for us. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Neutral Zone. But until then, for Eric Dalala, I am Phil Milani. You've been listening to The Neutral Zone.